please be advised, this episode may include depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language that is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Matt. And I'm Lenny. And we are so excited to be back this week. Yes, we are, because we missed last week. We're so sorry about that. Life happens. I ended up having a business trip, and I had to go out of town, and I didn't have time to get this all together and recorded and released, etc. So we're a week behind, but forgive us, please. No excuses Whatever. for the week. We do have a doozy, though, for this one. So we hope that you guys are forgiving. All right. Well, good. Yeah. But before we get to this week's episode, it's Christmas, Christmas Christmas time again. Yeah. What did we watch yesterday? White Christmas? Yeah. And what was, oh, what was right before that Um, that we watched? Oh, uh, the one with Kurt Russell as Santa. Oh, yeah. Kurt Russell as Santa. That was, I can't, what is that one called again? Hmm. Somebody's um, telling us right now as they're listening. I know, right? They're like they're driving to work, and they're like, "It's blah blah blah." Yeah, come well, on, people. We're drawing a dang blank. Sorry, y'all. Yeah. But I am celebrating Christmas. I'm, I have a little wine glass right here. It says Christmas calories don't count, and I think that's totally true. And I'm drinking some mulled wine mm-hmm. while we record this show. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking some coffee. Yeah, because he's crazy. Yeah, no uh, one drinks coffee this late in the day, except yeah, my do. husband. Oh, yes. I bet your listeners would think otherwise. Mm. Well, so what are you going to be doing next week while you're off? Oh, yeah. I am going to be hopefully finishing our shopping list. We're not done yet. We've we're got, almost done. We are almost done, but we're not done yet. We'll and get done that with Usually that I'm week. done by now. Well, we'll get it done this week, though, right? I hope so, but we you're will. leaving. You're mm. leaving me. I, I feel like we'll get it knocked out. I hope so. And then next week, though, I am off all week, so I'm going to be getting the presents wrapped. I'm going to be baking my cookies because I'm running behind on that part again. And um, watching some Christmas movies and just chilling. I'm going to enjoy the whole week. That's what I was getting at. What are you going to be doing next week? Christmas cookies. Christmas cookies. I like it. Heck yeah. I'm excited for that. I know. <laughs> Good stuff. I, I love to bake the cookies. Um, I don't need to eat them, though. I don't really either, but I probably will. I will probably sample some, but most of them are going to get boxed up and sent to your work. What's and stuff. some? How many is some? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got a taste test oh, while yeah. you're baking, That's so true. I'll have at least one of each cookie. <laughs> mm. Okay, I like it. <laughs> yeah, so... um. 
yeah, let's just get into this week's episode. All right. All right. So if you haven't heard of them, we're talking about Fred and Rosemary West, a serial killer couple from England. And if you have heard of them, you know that they are very disturbed individuals. Serial killer couples. That's pretty awesome. I know, right? You know, that sounds horrible. I just said that. That's but awesome. I know what you mean. Like, But that's, that's like wild. And well, the couple that kills together stays together. True. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh Until other God. people's death does us part. Oh, or doesn't geez. us part. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, yeah, well, we will find out. We will find out. But they, these people, like in all seriousness, they are exactly what you you use. Like if you looked up the word evil in Webster's Dictionary, you're going to see their pictures. It's they are very disturbed. Is it the guy with the pitchfork? Oh, yeah. And the, and the woman standing at the, the, the farmhouse behind him? <laughs> what is that painting called? The I American know, something? Yes. Well, no, because these people are in England. So, oh. sorry. Mm. Um, I do want to do a quick little thing here, though. Like, this is going to be, it's definitely going to be a two-parter, possibly three. There's a lot Jeez. out there on these people. Wow. It just depends on how long these go. Um. But I also want to say, I know I put a parental discretion advisory in front of almost all of our episodes, but this one contains incest, sexual abuse, murder, child abuse, just a whole gamut of nightmare material throughout the whole thing. So I want to stress that it's probably not something you want your kids listening to. So if you're listening to this in the car, uh, dropping your kids off at the school or the daycare or whatever, you might just want to wait until it's just you. That's just me. You do you. But I want to put that out there. And I really thought this needed like a little bit of an extra warning on it. Mm. So, ready? Ready. Fred West was born on September 29th, 1941 in Bickerton Cottage, Much Markle, Herefordshire, England. I know, right? Like, wow, that is a mouthful. <laughs> I know. Bickerton like, Cottage, Much Marcel, Much Markle. Herefordshire. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, it's like. Wow. Did you practice that? I, I didn't, but I should have probably. That wasn't too bad. <laughs> Good job. Yep. So he was kind of the default firstborn child. And and I say this because his older siblings had all passed away at birth. Ooh. Yeah, he wasn't his mom's first pregnancy, but he is the first child. His parents were Walter and Walter West and Daisy Hill. They were poor farm workers who were very close-knit and protective of each other, which you would expect in like a farm community, right? His dad was the disciplinarian, and as is normal in most families, and his mom was very overprotective type. They moved when he was about five years old to Moorcourt Farm from wherever they were, you know, when he was little. By 1951, Fred's mom had given birth to eight kids, six of them who lived, but Fred was his mom's favorite, earning him a reputation of being a mama's boy, and he relied primarily primarily on his siblings for companionship like he didn't have very many friends and the kids all had chores and worked in some capacity outside of the home and fred was said to have a strong work ethic but due to being poor he also developed a shoplifting habit as you should <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't know about that but so so far seems pretty normal right so he was said to be in trouble regularly, though, and he was almost illiterate, even though he attended school. He was not an academic. He dropped out of school when he was 15 and worked on the farm, which I think 
back in those days was kind of a normal thing too, even in the States. I think my grandpa did that. Yeah. Um, he claimed he was first introduced to sex though by his mom. Ooh. Yeah. So this is where things start to go a little okay. sideways. He was 12 when he was first introduced to sex and he also started gauging, engaging in bestiality with farm animals. And he had thought that incest was normal based on his father's incest with Fred's sisters. So basically, oh. Fred's dad is molesting his sisters, and, and he his, thinks this is normal. And his mom's messing with him? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so not a good start. Jeez. If you think about it, <laughs> like, everything seemed normal until mom and dad introduced some incest into their life. Okay. So Fred's pretty much a messed up kid. He becomes ag aggressive toward women and girls who he objectified as a source of pleasure to be used as he saw fit. And he would just abruptly approach them in public and fondle them. Wow. Yeah. It was said, though, that if a girl gave in and had sex with him, his sexual performance was unsatisfying because he was basically out to get his own gratification. And I take that as a, a two pump chump type hmm. thing, you know, um, after his 17th birthday, he bought a motorcycle and two months later suffered from a fractured skull in a motorcycle accident. Okay, another, so here's the head. one of those head traumas. Yep. yep. He was unconscious for a week and ended up walking with braces for several months to recover. He had other injuries, not just his head fracture, like his leg was broken, his arm was broken, things like that. And but. I must say before the head fracture, all these other things that you mentioned previously, mm -hmm. he wasn't going down a good path anyway, but I'm just saying. No, but you know, now we've added a head yeah, head trauma, a major head trauma. Yeah. Yes, gotcha. So he also developed an extreme fear of hospitals during his stay. I'm not sure why he developed this fear, but he also became prone to fits of rage, which were probably associated with his head trauma. Two years later, he had another head injury when he groped a girl on a fire escape and she punched him, sending him flying down <laughs> two floors. Good for her. Right? That's what I said. I was wow. like, wow. You go, girl. Like, I'd punch him too. Heck yeah. So in June of 1961, his young sister Kitty told her mom that Fred had been raping her since the previous December and she was now pregnant. Ooh. Right? He was arrested that same month, and he freely admitted to police that he had been molesting young girls since his early teens, saying to police, quote, doesn't everybody do it? End quote. Oh, and, you know, I wondered, did, did he think that? Because he, he saw what did. his dad did, what his mom did to him. This was normal life. Yeah. This he, is what was done. I, I am assuming, and I mean, not to defend this guy in any no. way, shape, or form, but I am assuming he thought this was normal and it's, the acceptable way to behave right you know it wasn't a cocky kind of statement no. doesn't everybody do it i mean maybe he was being serious like doesn't everybody do this yes is this, this that's normal? what i assume too because that's he thought incest was okay mm -hmm. so he went to trial and his mom basically defended him and his little sister decided not to testify so they dropped the case his family though did disown him and he was kicked out of his home so he moved in with his Aunt Violet. And I'm sorry, I would not take you into my home. <laughs> I don't care if you're my nephew. You're not coming to live with me, like, no. with your issue sorry, there. we're not doing that. But he moved in with his aunt. And by mid-1962, he had reconciled with his parents, but not with the rest of his family. 
so the rest of his family is still like, you aren't a part of us. But his parents forgave him. So in September of 1962, Fred became reacquainted with an old friend named Catherine. She went by Rena Bernadette Costello. Wow. I know, right? When he was 21 years old, he, he re, you know, reacquainted himself with her. He first met her at a dance hall in 1960 and dated her before she returned to Scotland, where she was from. And when they met up again, she was pregnant by an Asian bus driver who it, she didn't have a relationship with. So she ended up marrying Fred on November 17, 1962. And the only person at their wedding was Fred's brother, John. Wow. Right? They first lived in Fred's Aunt Violet's house, then moved to Coatbridge, where Fred worked as an ice cream van driver. So I'm, I'm, I changed this to, because in England, ice cream van driver, he's an ice cream truck guy. <laughs> so Rena's daughter, Charmaine, was born in March of 1963. And in an effort to explain the girl's mixed ancestry, Rena and Fred claimed she had suffered a miscarriage and that they had adopted the little girl. So I guess she was like a family shame or something. Mm -hmm. Just own that crap. Yeah. They then moved to Glasgow, Scotland. And in 1964, July of 1964, Rena gave birth to another daughter, Anna Marie. The nanny and neighbors remember Rena as a good mom, but Fred treated them pretty harshly. He kept the girls in the bottom of a bunk bed that he had installed bars on, basically building a cage to keep them in. Jeez. Yeah. And they were only allowed out when he was at work. And and via the nanny, they met a 16-year-old girl named Anne McFall, who was grieving the death of her boyfriend. She spent a lot of time at the West apartment. He said, or he was said to be very abusive and sadistic. He admitted to having a number of affairs in the early years of his marriage to Rena, and he fathered at least one illegitimate child outside of marriage. And when Rena found out about the affairs, she started having an affair with a man named John McLaughlin. And Fred walked in on them once, and he punched Rena. And so John then punched Fred, who drew a knife and grazed John's stomach. So John punched him again, and Fred backed down. Like, he was total coward when it came to confronting mm, men. Okay. Years later, when he was recalling the fight, John said, quote, he couldn't tackle a man, but he wasn't so slow in attacking women, end quote, yeah. which is what I just said. I didn't even realize that, but total coward status. <laughs> just attitude. Right? So John and Rena continued their affair, and John grew more and more concerned over the bruises and injuries that Rena was showing from Fred's abuse. At one point, John beat Fred extensively in an effort to defend Rena. John also saw that Charmaine, Rena's oldest daughter, had asked Fred for an ice cream from his ice cream truck once, and Fred hit her in the head. So John kicked his ass again. Jeez. Good, good for him, but right. But at the same like, time, like just take her, Rena, yeah, your girl, right. away from him, exactly, and why take aren't the they, babies. Why aren't they separating? Like, what's the deal with that? Do you get into that? Oh what? yeah, I do, I do. Okay. I think Rena ends up being like a battered wife syndrome type mm, thing. Okay. So on November fourth, nineteen sixty-five, Fred accidentally ran over and killed a young boy with his ice cream truck. He was cleared of any wrongdoing by police, but he was afraid of the locals, and so he returned to England, taking both girls, Charmaine and Anna Marie, with him and living in an RV. Irina joined him in February of 1966, bringing the nanny and Anne McFall with her 
and they all moved into this RV with him. Right? That's weird. <laughs> Why? <laughs> right? With a nanny, I'd be like, nope. And then this Ann McFall. Yeah, this 16-year-old Ann McFall. Yeah. Yeah. So Fred begins to dominate all these women, and he's very abusive. He's prone to violent mood swings, and he beats the women and the girls with Rena and, and the nanny bearing the brunt of his violence. They, uh, he also started sexually abusing Charmaine and was encouraging his wife, Rena to supplement their income with, with prostitution. Jeez. Right? Could you imagine selling your wife? No. <laughs> Thanks for that. Mm-mm. Considering Mm-mm. I'm her, I don't, I don't think I'd be down, babe. Um, so the women contacted John and asked for his help to escape Fred. So they came up with a plan to drive down and get the women and girls and take them back to Scotland. And so John is bringing a friend of his who I think was actually the boyfriend of the nanny. Oh. Like they're coming down to get the women and the girls and take them back to Scotland. Okay. Anne, though, had become so infatuated with Fred that she told him about the plan. So she tells what's going to happen. So when John shows up, Anne stayed with Fred and told everyone she would stay and be the nanny to the girls. Fred and John got into a fight and the police were called. So John and the women and the man that he brought with him um, all left with Fred threatening to kill Rena if he ever saw her again. And with the girls having to stay behind with Fred. Mm. Right. Like, I am not leaving my babies. They're coming. Yeah. So Rena frequently visited the girls in England, making as many trips as she could to check on them. But she never brought them back to Scotland with her, which I find so disturbing. It is bad. She started resenting Anne's mothering of her daughters, Charmaine and Anna Marie. And she ended up stealing some things from Fred's RV on one of her trips to try as like, I don't know what she was thinking, like. I hate you and your mothering of my children. I'm going to steal some stuff. I don't get it. But <laughs> so she was arrested and was sentenced to three years probation for stealing. Fred testified at the hearing, admitting that he and Anne were living together, but he falsely claimed Anne intended to return to Scotland. And after the trial, Anne moved into another RV in the same RV park and alternated between living with Fred and living with the nanny in Scotland. Like, they were alternating between these RVs. Anne, in the meantime, tried to convince Fred to divorce Rena and marry her. This is weird. Yeah, like, this little, this 16 to 18-year-old girl was just... Yeah. I don't know. I really have no words. Yeah, some messed up family stuff with her, too. There has to be, yeah. So, in July of 1967, Anne, who was... 18 now, and eight months pregnant with Fred's child, just vanished. Hmm. She was never reported missing or anything. A month later, Rena moved back in with Fred, and they moved to another RV park. So she came back from Scotland and moved back in with her husband. And the relationship was said to have improved at first, but when, but then Rena left again the next year, leaving her kids again with Fred. So since Fred didn't have a woman around to take care of the girls, he temporarily put them in an orphanage. That was his solution. <laughs> yeah. Anne, backing up a little bit, Anne was Fred's first confirmed kill. We find out later. Okay. Her remains were found buried in a cornfield between Muchmarkle and Kempley in June of 1994. A long time wow, later. a long time. Yeah. yeah. Many years. She had been dismembered and many of her finger bones were missing from her body. They were thought to have been kept as souvenirs. 
Her unborn child may also have been removed from her body. Yeah. Fred first denied having killed her, but later confided to a visitor after his arrest that he was that he had stabbed her to death after an argument. But there this was inconsistent with what was found on her body, though. Her hands had been tied with sections of dressing gown cord, you know, cord, Mm -hmm. um, suggesting that she had been restrained prior to her murder. Yeah. So they're pretty sure if there was an argument, that's not he didn't kill her in the heat of. In the an argument. That argument yeah. He he killed her later. Okay. So now let's pause there and introduce you to Rosemary Letts. Because you know, this is Fred and Rosemary West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rosemary, also called Rose, was born in Northam Devon, England, on November 29th, 1953, to William Letts and Daisy Fuller. And the side note on this one that I found strange, both Fred and Rosemary's moms were named Daisy. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Like, that's weird to me. Doesn't seem too common. No. What are the odds? Uh, I guess. And and for their names to be Daisy. It's not like their names were Michelle or something. Yeah. But it was that maybe common name at maybe. that time in England. Maybe. Maybe. So anyway, Rose was the fifth of seven kids born in a poor family. Her mom was chronically depressed. And while she was pregnant with Rose, she had an ECT done. And some people have said that this treatment may have caused prenatal injuries to her. She grew up into a moody and precocious teenager, which seems like a normal teenage girl to me. Like, we're all moody and Mm -hmm. whatever. We know everything. (laughs) She was said to be a daydreamer, and she was not good in school. Like Fred. Right? Things are like mirroring each other in a way. Her parents separated when she was a teenager, and she lived with her mom for the first six months, but then moved in with her father. At 16 years old. Okay. This is where it gets a little sick. Her Mm. father was a paranoid schizophrenic who was prone to extreme violence, and he repeatedly sexually abused her and her older sister. So what are the odds, too, that both of them are sexually abused by their own parents? Right. When Rose was growing up, she would walk around her home naked in front of her younger brother, and she would creep into his room at night and sexually molest him when he was nine years old. And when he was 12, she raped her own brother. Wow. Yeah. So you can see Miss Young Rose was just as messed up as Fred was. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. She was quite a bit younger than Fred, though. She was about 12 years younger. And she met him when she was 15 and he was 27. Okay. Which is gross. Which is what, which, you know, thing, certain things are, I guess a lot of things are taught. And how they become who they are because of their parents, what they did to them. Yeah. Which is sad. It is. It really it's is. horrible. So, Fred and Rose met at a bus stop in 1969. At first, she wasn't interested in Fred, but he promised her, you know, a few nights out. So, she went with him. While they were getting to know each other, Fred had gained her sympathy by saying that his wife had abandoned him and his two daughters. And he had them at an orphanage, but wanted to get them back. Like, he was this broken-hearted guy, right? At first, her dad disapproved of their relationship, and he threatened to call social services about it, which made me laugh, because this is the same man who's sleeping with her. Yeah. He's her dad. Right. But he threatens to call social social services anyway. Of course. And he does. He reports it. Rose is temporarily placed in a home for troubled teenagers in August of 1969. And was allowed only allowed to leave under controlled conditions. When she was allowed to go home to visit her parents on the weekends, 
she would sneak out and visit Fred as well. So it didn't keep her from seeing him. Yeah. She left the home for troubled teens on her 16th birthday and moved back with her parents. Fred was serving a 30-day sentence at the time for theft and unpaid fines. And when he got out, Rose moved in with him, and they moved into an apartment together. Fred got the girls from the orphanage. And Rose's dad made one last effort to get Fred away from her, but when police examined her, they found out that she was pregnant in 1970. Oh. Yeah. She was placed in a teen home again, but was released soon after with the determination that she would get an abortion and return home to her parents. So what I'm thinking happened here is they were like, if you get an abortion and go home and stay away from this guy, we'll let you go home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then she probably told them everything they wanted to hear. Oh, of course. So instead, when she was released from the home, she moved in with Fred again. And her dad forbid her from ever coming home again. Which to me, if my dad is doing all that stuff to me and he says, don't ever come home again. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> no problem. Got it. Done. So, yeah. So three months after this, they move into a two-story house in Midland Road, Gloucester. Their daughter, Heather, was born on October 17th, 1970. And there's some speculation that her daughter is actually not Fred's, but was her father's, her father's child. Oh, boy. I know, right? But it's just speculation. No one knows for sure. Two months later, Fred was imprisoned for stealing car tires and tags. He was released on June 24th, 1971. But while he was in jail, Rose took care of all three girls, telling Charmaine and Anna Marie to call her mom. Anna Marie later said that while they were under Rose's care after moving into the house, she and Charmaine were frequently criticized, beaten, and had other forms of punishment done to them. Mm-hmm. Anna Marie said she was submissive and quiet and prone to crying, but Charmaine would not show any emotion or cry, which pissed Rose off more. And it didn't matter how bad it got for her, she would not give in. Mm-hmm. This little girl was very strong-willed is what it sounds like. Yeah. She stayed as positive as she could, and she would tell Anna Marie about her wish that their mom would come and get them one day, which is so heartbreaking. I wish her mom had come and got them, too. Mm -hmm. One of Charmaine's childhood friends remembered that she had once walked into the house without knocking, and she saw Charmaine standing naked on a chair in the kitchen, gagged, with her hands tied behind her back with a belt, while Rose stood beside her holding a wooden spoon. She had been beating her with the spoon. Mm -hmm. She said Charmaine was calm and unconcerned standing there. But Anna Marie was standing there uh, and, you know, and her sister Mm -hmm. standing there as well with this blank expression on her face. I mean, could you even imagine seeing that? You're just this innocent kid and you walk in on that. Horrible. So there was a hospital visit as well where Charmaine had been treated for a puncture wound to her ankle, but Rose had said it was a household accident. It's believed that Rose killed Charmaine shortly before Fred was released on June 24th, 1971. So that's kind of why I told all this, like give a history of their treatment, because before he was even out of jail, Charmaine died, which is sad. That is bad. She's known to have taken Charmaine, Anna Marie, and Heather to visit Fred on June 15th, and it's believed that Charmaine was murdered on or after this date, but Definitely before the mm-hmm. 24th. Okay. A, fr- a forensic odontologist confirmed that Charmaine was killed prior to Fred being released. So they know that Rose did it. Um, and she is Rose's first confirmed kill. 
Can you even imagine? Mm-mm. A neighbor who testified against Rose in her trial said that her daughters used to play with Charmaine and Anna Marie, and one day they went to the home to see if Charmaine could play. And Rose said, quote, she's gone to live with her mother and bloody good riddance, end quote. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, she, she killed her, but then her sister or whatever, anybody, yeah, she's telling them she went off to live with her mom. Yeah. Was, yeah. Her, was the story. Mm-hmm. So when Fred was released from prison, he even told his daughter Anna Marie that Charmaine had gone to live in Scotland with her mom. And in Anna Marie's autobiography called Out of the Shadows, she recalled that when she asked her dad why their mom had taken Charmaine but not her, he told her, quote, she wouldn't want you, love. You're the wrong color, end quote. What? Yeah. Wow. Stupid, right? Yeah. Charmaine's body was initially hidden in the coal cellar of the home. And once Fred was released, he buried her body in the yard close to the back door, and he insisted that he had not dismembered her. An autopsy later showed that the body had been severed at the hip, though. But they say that this could have been when work was done on the property in 1976. Several bones were missing from the body, the patella, finger, wrist, toe, and ankle bones. And there's speculations that speculation that these were actually kept as souvenirs, souvenirs yeah. which becomes a trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I personally think she was probably dismembered a little bit before she was buried. That's just my personal opinion. So now remember that Charmaine is biologically not Fred's daughter. And Rena, his first wife, was coming back to check on the girls as often as she could. Her checks did become less and less frequent. But she is known to have come to check on the girls in late August 1971. Fred's sister-in-law, Christine, later said that Rena was depressed and extremely anxious about the girls' welfare. But my thing on that is if you're that depressed and anxious, go get get your kids. Right. Like, don't leave them with someone that you don't feel comfortable with. Yeah. I don't care what you got to do. Go get your kids. Yeah. So when she got their address at the house, she went to confront Fred. And it's assumed she wanted to discuss custody. This was the last time Rena was seen alive. She's believed to have been strangled to death, possibly in the backseat of Fred's car. Her body was discovered with a short length of metal tubing inside of her, which left some speculation that she had been restrained and sexually assaulted prior to her murder. Wow. Her body had been dismembered, placed in plastic bags, and buried close to a cluster of trees known as Yew Tree Coppice at Letterbox Field. Nothing is short in England. (laughs) Not far from where Anne McFall's body was found. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So I figure that's where we'll end part one. Okay. And I will just give you guys a heads up. Part two is worse. Well, way, yeah, way you, worse. It really probably gets into the details, huh? A little bit more. Um, or up there not, rampage of doing what they're doing. Yeah. It gets into their life. I mean, okay. these people are so messed up. Yeah. But I don't want to talk. I mean, this could go on for hours. So I want to try and keep the time still within that 30 to 45 minute time frame. Gotcha. So that's the end of part one. All right. So we're in in the episode here. So let us know your thoughts about these, this one so far. Uh, Check out our website at wickedness, true crime, the unknown.com. Follow us on Instagram at wickedness, true crime. Contact us via email at wickedness, true crime at yahoo.com. And also check us out on anchor at anchor.fm slash wickedness where you can support us if you feel like it by pressing that support button. 
And last but not least, rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. This helps our podcast get out to more people. Next week, we'll continue on with this hot mess of a story (laughs) in part two. So be sure to listen. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.